How are you folks? Very good. Good, good, good. My name's Andy Flanagan, um, and as you can tell from the accent, um, I have experienced the hospitality of people of the people of Exeter and the people of ANC. You can tell this accent does not come from right here. And, uh, and so I stand here this afternoon talking about hospitality, these incredible verses that John has just read. As somebody who, myself and Jen, my wife and kids, Jubilee and Jesse, have experienced an incredible wave of hospitality from so many people in this room. So I stand here this afternoon not thinking, I'm, I'm feeling like I'm slightly preaching to the choir because I know that you already get the welcoming the stranger with the strange accent who claims he's from Luton but actually sounds like he's from somewhere else. <laughs> I know you get this stuff. And my prayer, not that I'm trying to convince you of anything this evening, but the fact that we sometimes need a space when we know some things are true, but we don't necessarily get on and do the things that we know to be true. Sometimes we need a space just to let God nudge us and poke us and provoke us. And that's what I'm praying. Not that I'm going to convince you of something you don't know already, but actually all of us will stop and reflect on Scripture and hear what he might be saying to us. Now, I've got, I've got a clicker here that hopefully might work. Can we give Steve and Annie and Toby and the team a huge yeah. round of applause for all the incredible technical stuff that they've had to do in a short, short space of time. Um, and I'm hoping by my compliment that that, that, that will make this happen. Like, really, really impressive. How are we doing there? Is it? Have we got the PowerPoint? Oh, wonderful. Great. And that is the verse we just had. I'll get out of the way. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. When you're just preaching on one verse, you think, well, that's not much, so should we look at some other versions of it? And so, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Oh, that's not worked. Hey, it has. Oh, was that Annie? Oh, that was you? Okay. Annie, just for me, that's great. Distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. That's in the King James Version. Next one, in the contemporary English version, take care of God's needy people and welcome strangers into your home. Next one, good news Bible. Do you remember the good news Bible? Yeah, yeah. those great pictures. Share your belongings with needy fellow Christians and open your homes to strangers. And there's an interesting thing happening here. You see the word strangers is emerging. And that's because the Greek word for hospitality used in these verses is philoxenia, which is a fascinating word which actually means love of stranger or friend of stranger. And you'll see the X-E-N in the middle of that word. That might remind you of another word that we use in culture, sadly. We talk about xenophobia, don't we? The fear of a stranger. And so surprisingly, philoxenia, hospitality, is actually the antidote to that. It's the love of a stranger. So it's not just hospitality to the people that we like. You know, we could all, you could almost put it like this, like entertaining seeks to impress, but hospitality seeks to bless. I should make a t-shirt out of that. <laughs> hospitality, innate in hospitality, is this word philoxenia. It's implicit that it's about people that we don't know. Not just being nice to and impressing the people we know already. It's about loving and extending love. It's really testing our love. Because I love hanging out with the people who are like me. I love hanging out with people who are like me. And, you know, that's one of the important things we do. When we come together, we wouldn't survive in life if we didn't do things like this and come together with the people who are like us. And so we have those rhythms that encourage us to come together with the people who are like us. But my question to you today is, do we have rhythms that encourage us to go beyond our borders, to spend time with the people who are not like us, 
to spend time with people who are maybe a bit awkward, to spend time with people who don't think like us, or talk like us, or look like us. In the same way that we need rhythms to come together, we need rhythms to go out, otherwise we default to our own little cosy clique. And in the world of social media, where we're becoming more and more polarised, when we're actually able to find more and more, more, more and more easily, we're able to find people who are just like us, the niche of a niche of a niche of a niche of the subset of surfers or of dancers or of musicians. We can find people who are just like us. The internet is brilliant at that. We'll find those people, but they might not be around the corner. They might not be the people who are actually right on our doorstep, who might be more difficult to love. It's fascinating that it also says practice hospitality innate there as well is a sense that we need to provide some rhythm we need to practice it that if you don't practice it it's a muscle that if you don't practice it might atrophy just like any other muscle in our bodies we need to practice it the bible has a lot to say about hospitality a huge amount to say i'm going to ram through just a few quickly leviticus 19:34. the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. If ever we needed any convincing that we have already received hospitality, have we not done so today? We have been the recipients of incredible hospitality. We have been brothers and sisters in need, and we have had that need met. And the real danger would be for us, as with the children of Israel, to think that that blessing was for us to keep. The danger in arriving in a new place with shiny lights that make us all look a bit younger and make us all feel a bit cooler. The danger in coming to a place like this for any congregation, never mind, never mind us, is that we think the blessing is for ours to keep and it will make us shinier and it will make us better and more people will want. And actually the children of Israel thought the blessing was for them to keep and not realising the blessing was for them to give. Will we receive, will we start rhythms that mean that we are sharing this blessing, sharing this welcome that we've received. Next, Peter 4.9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Luke 14, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Hebrews 13, do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Matthew 25, the famous verses, Inasmuch as you've done it to the least of my brethren, you've done it unto me. I was hungry, you fed me. Hebrews 13, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Hospitality is also listed as a requirement for pastors, and it's also, if any widows are quoted, as Paul says, want to receive help, then they need to be hospitable. Hospitality would appear to be a pretty serious and important thing. And it's not hard to affirm beautiful examples of hospitality, as I've already done in the welcome that we've received, but I've seen so many people in this congregation offer incredible hospitality, whether it's folks who have arrived from Syria, whether it's folks who have arrived from Ukraine, whether it's the folks that you're meeting on the streets of Exeter. The hospitality that I have known people in this congregation offer is a beautiful and incredible thing. But God, in his wisdom, knows our natural preference to stick with those whom we know. There is a huge encouragement all through scripture to push us outward, to push us outward, because he knows our natural inclination to stay safe and stay with those whom we know. Jesus put it so plainly in Luke chapter 5 when, he, when they asked him, 
Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? And he said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. It's no accident that the words hospital and hospitality come from the same root. We are here to offer a hospital, yet we can also be so concerned about what things look like in our homes, or concerned about how things look like in a building. You know, when a hospital is not concerned about that, the people in this room that work in a hospital, when they welcome you into their ward, when they welcome you to a &E, they're not going, oh, hi, thanks, how's your broken leg? Oh, do you like what we've done with the second bathroom? It's a hospital. That's what it's there for. It's not there to impress people with how good it is. We are designed to welcome everyone. And sometimes actually not looking sorted and not looking perfect is actually very helpful in allowing people to feel welcome. Sometimes our extreme sortedness and our desire for perfection actually turns people away. Ironically, we've just gone past Halloween, which is a festival I despise. For lots of typical Christian reasons, really, to be honest. But, I've came across this quote this week from Steve Goddess Holmes. Is it possible that Halloween's the day where we actually get it right? Annie, you can nip onto that one. Steve Goddard's home said this, Halloween is a day where maybe we get it right. Strangers come to us, beautiful, ugly, odd, scary. We accept them all without question, compliment them, treat them kindly, and give them gifts. And why do we always live like that? It's quite challenging, isn't it? Especially when you're like me and you hate Halloween. When we make our relationships outside of our locality, cross neighbourhood, which is a very easy thing to do in Exeter, Exeter, so, so many people from Luton are asking me, what's it like living in Exeter? And I said, well, we all basically live about 10 minutes from each other. Yeah. You know, it's like, no matter what journey you make across Exeter, it's 10 or 15 minutes away. You're going to see somebody. It's so tempted to make our relationships cross neighbourhood. But when we make our relationships cross neighbourhood outside of our locality, we tend to pick the person or people that we like the best. Often those who are most like us in outlook or family stage, the people who are easiest to get on with. Whereas when we constrain our relationships to our locality, just as with our immediate families, we're forced to connect with those who are different to us. Who may be harder to love. And harder to build relationships with. And fakeier to build relationships with. But who we're saying that maybe we might have a commitment to because of the gospel because we believe that God wants to move where we are, in the places where we live, in the neighborhoods where we are. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. One of the most profound things someone once said to me after reading that verse to me was like, love your neighbor as yourself and live everywhere as if it's the last place you're gonna live. We don't have to look hard for people who are in need and need our hospitality. We don't have to start a project or a program. Usually they're just next door. Usually they're around our street. Usually they're at the school gate. John 1 is beautifully translated by Eugene Peterson in the message, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. It's an incarnational God. But we need 
rhythms to call us beyond the safety and security of just hanging out with the people who are like us and who we love and know. Jen and I discovered this hugely when we were living in London. We were living in a council estate called Doddington Grove and we realised, you know, oh, we could sound like we're a really, you know, incarnation of Christians living in a council estate. Oh, gosh, look at us. We realised it's very, very possible to live there and just spend your time watching The West Wing on DVD. Just flicking through box sets. You know, it's very, very possible to just be there, to live there, but not dwell there. And so we thought, well, we've got to get to know the neighbours. And so we, we just after we arrived, we, we put little notes, made lots of little, what we thought were lovely little invitations, and put them through everybody's door, about 90 doors on the block. And we thought, like, oh, this is going to be great. Everybody's going to come around. And one person turned up to our you know, housewarming party. We thought, what have we done wrong? And we talked to our friend, Jamie, who's an absolute master at community building. And he said, what made you think that the people in this estate wanted to come to your middle-class dinner party as wine and cheese? What made you think that was something that people were going to feel comfortable doing? Some of the people that you're inviting don't really want to tell their story. They don't want to stand and hold a glass of wine and tell you what, about their lives because maybe they're not that proud about their lives. They're unlikely to allow you through their door because they're not really quite that proud of what's behind their door. How are you genuinely going to get to know these folks? There's one wonderful guy called Frank, our immediate neighbour, and we told Frank about what we were trying to do, and he said, oh, that's never going to work around here. That, that never work around here, he said. Frank was your pr proper John Smith's Englishman. Jimmy challenged us. Just do it one family at a time. Could you do it one family at a time? Could you just get to know people, not because you're trying to make a massive impact, but just because you love one family group? Could you just get to know one person at a time? And Jen and I were really challenged by an amazing bunch of folks uh, called Urban Neighbours of Hope, folks that we'd stayed with in Plum Toy, the biggest slum in Bangkok. And this uh, family had moved there from Australia and lived in the slum, the biggest slum of Bangkok for 12 years. And they lived there and brought their kids up there amongst the sex workers and amongst the drug trade and amongst the horrendous infections. And we saw what they'd done and we went and we spent a week living with them there and we said, how do you survive in this place? And they said, well, there's two really important rhythms. Number one, we always get out of here once a week. We spend time out of here once a week because we need to do that to survive. But the other rhythm is that once a week we get together and we make sure we're not just... We're not just living here, but we're dwelling here. We make sure we eat with somebody from the neighbourhood once a week, at least once a week. We eat with somebody who's marginalised. We believe that will bless them, but we also believe that that's shaping us. So Jen and I chatted and thought, I don't think we're going to manage once a week. <laughs> but maybe we could manage once every two weeks. And so we started what we call Neighbour Night. So one, the first thing that went in our diary was date night, which was once a week, but then, then the next thing that would go in our diary was, was neighbour night, which is once every fortnight. And we would attempt actually to have one of the other family groups around for dinner, or to go and do something with them, or go to their house, or various variations on the theme. And believe me, at the start it was like getting blood out of a stone. It was such hard work. Again, all that shame was kicking in, people were going like, what is going on here, what is this? But gradually and slowly, the culture started to change. To the point where it got to the point where actually we were enjoying these incredible nights out with this Portuguese family out in the Portuguese nightclubs of London, playing bridge with our Polish neighbours, eating the most really 
not pleasant things with our Sierra Leonean neighbours. It was glorious and wonderful and we learned so much in the process and gradually the culture started to shift to the point where we weren't having to make it happen. Like other people were just having each other for dinner. It was a really beautiful thing. But it took a bit of rhythm because otherwise we knew that we would just default to watching our box sets and doing what we wanted to do with the friends that we wanted to do with. Who are the strangers right now in Exeter? Who are your neighbours that God might be calling you to? I met an amazing guy called Hanny last night. He's a Syrian refugee. He's been here for five years, having been tortured before coming here after the last big conflagration five years ago. He's been welcomed by some incredible Christians here in Exeter. That welcome is beautiful. I think our city has a, a reputation for it, actually. Could we extend that welcome to the people just around the corner who might get to know us and get to know Jesus through us? And it's not just about how the impact we might have, it's about the impact that God will have on us. It's always about his mission in us as well as his mission through us, isn't it? It's always about what we learn in the process. Always about what he does in us. But the truth is we have such busy lives to be able to just be present in our neighbourhood might take some tough decision making. The only reason Jen and I were able to spend that time regularly with our neighbours was that we said to some of our Christian friends, we said, guys, we feel really cold to our block here and that inevitably means we're going to be spending less time with you guys. It was, it was mad. We looked at our diaries after we got married and we said, look, there's, this, there's a bunch of like elder, older, wiser Christians that we definitely need to keep connecting with. And there's a bunch of younger folks that we feel really called to invest in and mentor. But in the middle, there's this whole bunch of folks who you might describe as just nice Christians who we know and hang out with. And we started what we call the cull. <laughs> I, I, I talk about actually producing an app. <laughs> Terrible thing. They would actually sort of work out, you know, who, who you're actually going to spend time with. But we actually, Jeff's scared sitting there, I don't even say this, I'm sorry, darling. But we realised that we had to have some serious conversations with the other people, just the nice Christian friends, to say, in the same way that if you were going off to sub-Saharan Africa, or you were going off to Asia as a missionary, you'd be having a conversation saying, look, hey, would you pray for us? And like, inevitably we're going to see a bit less of you, but would you release us to be on mission? in that place on the other side of the world, but the same applies in our city. We might need to have some conversations with each other that release each other to be those missionaries around the corner in our neighbourhoods, that if we have a passion and a call to be involved in our neighbourhoods and to be involved with those who are on the edge of our society here, we probably need to create some space in our lives because we're all crazy busy, aren't we? And we might need to say to some people, rather than just letting relationships die in a kind of a bitter, silent way, we might need to say, we, we probably... I'm going to have to see you guys about this. Wouldn't that be a bit crazy and radical? Because we don't have a vocabulary for that very often. We might just need to do something like that. We might need to release each other and pray one another into the places that God has called us to. This Christmas is going to be a great chance to social hospitality. All the events that are on the website and that will be mentioned in the coming weeks, that's an amazing chance for us to show hospitality. That's an amazing chance, but Will we know enough folks who don't know Jesus to actually welcome them here? And will we be tight enough with a small bunch of people? Jesus told 12 and he chose 3. It's impossible to know the 300 people or 350 people that are in our DNC. But mad, raging extroverts like me try. And it's not a good idea. 
and I ask your forgiveness for it because, because you just can't know this number of people meaningfully. Who, are, who is our small clan that we're going to commit to, who are going to pray for us and support us and release us as we go out to minister to our neighbourhoods and those who don't know Jesus? Coming in January, we're going to be starting a network, hopefully, that will help release us and help us be rent a mob to each other. That when we do have an open house like the Jollies have so brilliantly done and have all their neighbours around, when you do have a Christmas party at our house that will have some other Christians around being the gel in the matrix, helping people to see, oh, it's not just like these nice, enthusiastic people, it's these other people. Oh, gosh, they, oh, ah. And people start smelling Jesus off us because they realise it's not just young, enthusiastic people, it's these other Christians as well. Could we help each other in our mission? Could we support each other in our mission? This verse, the word became flesh, moved into the neighborhood. The other part of the verse that said share with God's people who are in need, that word in the middle of that is koinotes, which is a word that means in common. It means sharing what's in common. And it speaks more about this dissolving of the borders between our lives, between our nuclear families. These borders, these fences, that the world tries to put up, that the marketeers of the world try to put up. You might remember me telling a story about um, my friend Bob, where a guy on a plane told him that I spent my life trying to split up families. Because once you isolate people and make them feel lonely, you can sell them anything. And we've been trying to sort of dissolve those borders slightly, haven't we? We've been trying to live as if we have stuff in common. The word there is about living as if Stuff is not ours, that it is a gift of God, that we have it in common. In the same way that you would say, you know, that boy and that girl, they've both got their dad's eyes in common. It's a gift from the Father. We have this stuff in common. In common means in communication. It means I don't have my little pot of cash and resource here, and you've got your little pot of cash and resource. It means they're in communication. In common means they're in communication. Are our resources and our finances here in communication with each other? Are we sharing them? Are the fences and the boundaries porous? Or are we keeping safe and secure with our family budgets and our private lives? Are we actually sharing life? And how can we do that? What rhythms might we need to share life and share stuff? And it's been brilliant to see how the, the Facebook group has gone. How many people have enjoyed using the Facebook group? That's just like a little first step of trying to step into this world of sharing. And I want to encourage you that actually we are doing this and we can do this. So far on the ANC Share Facebook page, we have shared a dehumidifier, some DIY skills, a mechanic, some ultraviolet lights, a double mattress, a housemate, a student lunch, an air mattress, a plumber, a sofa, three spades, empty wine bottles. That's not hard to do in this community. Um, a wardrobe, garden games, a cleaner, crutches, a bicycle, kids climbing shoes, a spreadsheet, a spreadsheet advice, Loganbury cuttings, a wetsuit, babysitting, cinema tickets, a chest of drawers, trousers for a kid, a tent, a female, that was a flat share thing, nothing much more there, <laughs> a book on how to hear God, folding tables, cricket gear, a house for a week for some people from Philadelphia, how good is that? A printer, panniers, vacuum cleaner, camping table, three plants, paddle boards, kayaks, cordless electric drill, ceilings, a lot of fabric, a microphone, IT support, Bob Wallington, uh, a rucksack, a doctor's flat tire fixed, and a spare phone. Give yourselves a round of applause. We have something of the borders between our private lives are starting to come down. 
What rhythms would help us connect more regularly? What rhythms would give us the opportunity to share in a way that is meaningful? To share in a way that life is being shared? That hospitality is real? That it is not just getting ourselves to a place of safety and comfort and security where we're happy enough to impress, where it's more like entertaining, seeking to impress, rather than hospitality, seeking to bless? Realizing that hospitality is about connection, not perfection. So often we want to present perfection. One of the other things we learned from our friend Jamie was that the biggest, most profound way to make an impact on a community is to go in need. Is to show up in need. Anytime they would go and do work with kids, they would always ask the kids to carry something, carry part of the PA, carry the instruments, so that the kids they were working with would feel like they were part of it. It's also the way Jesus operated. Think of what he did with the Samaritan woman. Think of what he did with all the healings. He involved people in them. He didn't just do stuff to people. The Samaritan woman, he asked her for water. To go in need needs a humility and it changes our perspective. When we realize that we're the ones in need as well. That we're not just getting our place to a place, getting ourselves to a place of safety, but that we are offering, <coughs> that we are humbly going in need. How profound is it that our Savior asked for help? If we are distributing the goods that we have, we have discovered, we are just those who have experienced the welcome. We are the strangers that He has welcomed in. Ephesians 2.13 You who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We are the strangers. We have received that welcome. We do not have it sorted. If we can go in need, it changes everything. It changes, it's changed our relationship in our estate in Exeter. Because quite often I'm going asking for a spade or we're going asking for some flour. But it takes a bit of nerve to go and ask for stuff. But it's a brilliant way to get to know people. When was the last time you went and asked anybody in your street for something? That you broke that level of self-sufficiency and said, you broke something of that border between people and said, I need this. Because when you've asked somebody for something, it makes it so much more likely that they might ask you for something. People will feel the nerve to ask your opinion. People will feel the nerve to ask, well, can I come along to that church you come? Whenever you've showed that you're also in need, it's a very, very profound thing. To show that, yes, we can share. But not just with this community, but share with our wider neighborhood. Could we be involved in sharing with our wider neighborhood? That we could be sharing stuff and therefore sharing life, rather than keeping ourselves in these closed little Western bubbles. Brilliant that our suffering avoidance mechanisms. You know, it's no accident that phrase Koinonites talks about being in common, having things in common, because that resonates with what we know about Acts 2 and Acts 4, doesn't it? where the believers had everything in common. And every day, people were added to their number. It strikes me that it's pretty clear in the New Testament church there are two reasons why numbers and people kept flooding in. Number one, supernatural, wonderful, wild, crazy things were happening. Number two, nobody was in need. Do we not long for both of, things, yeah. both of those things to be happening in our midst? Do we not? We long for supernatural things to be happening that give God the glory that's saying, oh, no, that can only be God. That's not just not energetic, nice, resourceful people helping. 
That's God. That is that is invisible power. But they shared everything. No one was in need. No one was in need. And they sold their house and they sold their stuff and they made sure that everybody was looked after. But that only happened because of the power of the upper room. And the Holy Spirit coming in power. And that's what we're longing to happen even this afternoon. That we might be driven out to share and to welcome the stranger. And to exist with those who we do not know yet. To exist with those who we don't like that much. To exist and live and share life with those who we're going to learn from. Those who are different to us. And I put it to you that many of those folks are just around your corner. Are just across the street. What could you make sure that you don't have this week? That you could go and ask somebody for something. That you could confess your need and start a beautiful journey with somebody who's in your vicinity. Do you want the upper room experience? Do you want to be still and wait on God? Do you want to be filled with his power? <coughs> to not make the same mistake? Yeah? yeah? yeah. Okay. yeah. To not make the same mistake as the children of Israel. That this blessing, this wonderful experience that we've had this afternoon is not for ours to keep it, for it to go out to our neighbourhoods and streets. Amen? Yeah. Would you stand with me? Let's just be silent and let God speak.